around to church, and so usually we got a few people from the church that um, come on over um, for that. And so it begins on Monday, 7 o'clock. Uh, Paul Chapel and David Gibbs will be the guest speakers for both Monday and Tuesday night. And there's also a team rally Tuesday morning. Um, I don't know what the time is it yet for that, but usually it's around 9 o'clock in the morning, around 9 to noon or 9 to 1. And so we have a team seventy resident from the dad. Um, that would be a great time, and you'd be able to be there for a good reason, too. They have a service for the adults in the morning as well, on Tuesday morning. We used to know most people usually are working during the day, and so usually people come on Monday and Tuesday night. Um, our family will be there um, all night Monday, all day on Tuesday. And so if any of you are able to come on out, let, let us know. We'd love um, to see you there, and um, there's some good uh, Bible preaching, and me to get charged myself. You know, I'm preaching week in, week out, but you know, I need preaching um, as well. And so I'm looking forward to it. And all right, First Timothy chapter um, 1, um, we're doing our series um, titled In Order in the Church. Timothy, second, First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus um, are often considered the pastoral epistles. And um, the reason for that is there is all these letters were directed from the Apostle Paul unto the young pastors, Timothy and Titus. So not Timothy, obviously, the Timothy and Titus written in Timothy, um, Titus. And um, in it, they, they give instructions basically about the order of the church, the function of the church, the operation of the church, the focus of the church's mission uh, on things on what they're going to have to deal with is pastors um, in the church. And so, it is you know, given written specifically to pastors, it's written about the operation or the order in the church, and therefore it's good for all of us. We're in First Timothy. 1 and verse 18. Now, I'll just read a few verses. Um, in verse 18, it says, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy. Now, he's not referring to Timothy as being his physical son. You know, the Bible talks about his father and his mother, other words, in other places. But kind of as a spiritual father, as a mentor. Um, someone that's been able to give him instructions in this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by then mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck of Humus Hymenius and Alexander. Whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Paul here telling Timothy that, you know, this charge that I'm going to give thee, these things that I am writing unto you, is so that you may have a good warfare, that you may be ready to battle. Now, he's not talking about a warfare. 
that um, fundamental Islamists would do where they physically go to battle and um, execute people that either won't believe and follow Allah, won't pay the tax required um, to be a non-Muslim. Um, and then where the Quran literally says, strike them into necks and cut off their fingertips. And why fingertips? I have no idea. But um, I've read it and that's what it says. And so he's not talking about that. Um, he's not talking about um, the type of things when Constantine in um, around 325 AD, um, um, where he, he was dealing with, um, he had some, I mean, there was the paganism, the, the Roman paganism, and then he, there was Christianity that would be persecuted, that was persecuted uh, under Nero. Um, and the fires were blamed on the Christians that Nero um, was likely involved in instigating and starting to try to turn the people against the Christians. And so Constantine said, he had this dream that said by this sign, by the cross, to go forth and conquer. And so he kind of brought a blending in a mixture of Roman paganism with some things of Christianity and promised the Christians that he would give them peace if they would conform to the sin. And that's what basically how the Roman Catholic Church was started in that there were some genuine Bible believers that compromised on their faith for peace and safety. Is why they compromised was not a good thing. That's why you'll see some mixtures of, in the Catholic Church. You go to Vatican and you'll see statues of different gods that Rome worshipped. And, and so it was a, a, a mixture of what basically added, we'll add the Christian God to our faith. And then here in America, where we've been more Christianized, so to speak, is a nation where the gospel has flourished. There will be more of a likeness to Christianity as compared to if you go to some other parts of the world where it will mirror more of some of their culture. In India, it will mirror more of some of the Hinduism practices and measure. So he was, but um, Constantine went to battle against the um, Islam and physical war. Again, that's not what Paul is writing about here. Always will talk, read about later on in Timothy and other um, messages is talking about a spiritual warfare. You know, to, to be ready spiritually, that there's um, wickedness in high places, and to be willing to ha have that battle. That Christianity has always been scripturally been more of a, of a religion and sharing the gospel, telling people about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and having the liberty of conscience for the person to either believe or not to believe. You know, in the founding of our country, you know, there, there would oftentimes be states that would be, they would have their state religion. And some of them would be like Lutheran. This would be their state religion. Another colony would um, be Catholic. Another one would be uh, Reformed. And so they would have their state religions, and it's oftentimes even part of the taxes would be going to <coughs> churches. And I believe it was in Massachusetts, and I could be wrong on 
state, it might be a different state, um, where the Baptists were told that they would be making the Baptist denomination, so to speak, to be the state church. And that's where the, the, the Baptists were like, no, we do not want to be a state church. That there is a separation of church and state in that sense that the church doesn't run the government and the government does not run the church. That does not mean that Christians cannot be involved in government. Okay? There's a difference between an individual who may happen to be a Christian to be involved in politics and of course their worldview is going to be shaped um, and informed, but that's different than a church running the government or the government running the church. And that's where the Baptists um, were concerned and wrote a letter to Thomas Jefferson. And Thomas Jefferson wrote them back, and, and that's where he said, you know, okay, yeah, you know, we won't have a state church. We will be, it'll be a liberty. And that's where the Baptists were like, we want people to come to our church through freedom of their conscience and to have freedom to not come. That if this is not their faith, it's not what they believe, we do not want it to be mandated or forced. And so many religions over the years, even in the name of Christianity at times, would be forced through threats, through force in and of itself. But Paul here is telling Timothy to be ready to war a good warfare, not of flesh and blood, but a spiritual um, war. And he stopped telling them that, you know, the Christian life is going to be a battle. You know, that, that there is a Christian. There's going to be battles that you face. And then as a pastor, there's going to be battles that you're going to face and need to come through strong. And so the Christian life is the battle. There is the battle between the spirit and the flesh. Go ahead and turn in your Bible to Galatians. Galatians 5. In verse 16, Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia. He says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts them against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would, but if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now he's telling them that, yes, you know what, in the flesh, there's going to be a battle in this life. And there's going to be part of you that the Christian conscience, that, that teaches you, that trains you in one way, that tells you what you should, what is right. You know, my husband's not in this life, written in our heart. But that there's still the old man. There's still the flesh. There's still that sin that we will struggle with in this life. That we are not going to become perfect while we are living in this body. That is going to be a battle. And that's why Jesus taught great principles such as um, he that will be last shall be first. And he that will be first will be last. That um, he that will lose his life for my name's sake shall find it. That, that to deny self, to take up your cross and follow him. That spiritually you're crucifying the old man and choosing to walk in the spirit. And that if we're walking in the spirit, then we won't walk in the flesh. But if we're walking in the flesh, then there's going to be that battle. 
Okay, so it, Paul was telling Timothy that one day, you know what, there's going to be a battle. You know, it's just about you're in your own life and living for Christ. That yes, behold, all things that have become new, we are made a new creature in Christ. But we still live with the old man. Now it's to be dead unto us, but we still need to choose to walk in the spirit. Go ahead and turn to first John. In first John, we'll see not only is there that battle within ourselves between the flesh and the spirit. We see there's the Christian versus the world's influence. In 1 John chapter 2, in verse 15, it says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And so there's the Christian versus the world. The world system um, wants to break down your faith. Wants to offer you as Satan would offer Jesus that say, if you just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of these kingdoms. Devils of Prince and the power of the air. But you misunderstood that you know what Jesus is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. And this is his creation. But the devil is running the world system. And that world system, they want to get you for the lust of the eyes. They want to get you for the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. Promising you success. To be willing to not follow good, godly morals. People offer positions as actors and actresses if they're willing to, to give themselves over to sin. And so, you know, that's going to be a battle in the Christian's life where the world wants to influence you through your eyes and through the temptations of the flesh and through pride. And so, that's the battle of warfare. And Paul wants Timothy to be ready for this war. There's Christians versus the wiles of the devil, the tricks of the devil. Go to turn to Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, verse 11. Paul tells the church in Ephesus. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And here he explains himself. He's not talking about a literal physical armor, but he's using an analogy. He's using a metaphor of oven armor, of a knight, to be ready for battle. For he says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, and blood. So you know, we're not... It's a church going to go wage war against other nations. We're not going to go wage war against unbelievers, the people that don't have our faith. We don't go to a physical war with that. But against principalities, against powers, 
against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And these rulers of the darkness of this world and the spiritual wickedness in high places, that um, there's twofold in that. Part of that would involve the government, as far as the politics that may be in the government, that into the high places, that there is great evil, there could be great wickedness, and that, you know, there's going to be a battle against that. And that's where, you know, our focus is on the gospel, but oftentimes it's the politics get involved in morality, get involved in trying to undermine the Bible, and puts us in a battle with that, that, that we are going to stand with the Word of God, regardless of what the wickedness in great high places may do. It also involves the wickedness in high places speaking. A high places would often be referring to uh, like the altars that they would have, um, and, and they would give offerings to the different false gods. And saying that, you know, we're at war with them in a spiritual sense, again, not in a physical sense, but that Satan has blinded the minds of those that haven't came to the truth yet. And now we, through the gospel, need to shine the light in the darkness. That many people are holding to a faith and idolatry for their school. That there are people, false religions, there are false teachers that have people blinded to the truth. And so we're in battle against that, against the wiles of the devil, the tricks of the devil, that the Bible talks about how even the devil himself is transformed as an angel of light. And that would be no surprise that even his ministers would be transformed into the ministers of righteousness. There are religions around the world that you see their good works. You see um, many of their good deeds. You'll see um, they'll be friendly towards people, but that their teaching leads people on the path to hell. And that's where we need to show them the truth of the gospel, that they won't be entrapped into necessarily just the morality of the religion, so to speak, but will find liberty and freedom in Jesus Christ. And so there's the Christian versus the wiles of the devil. That he'll even use religion to appear as something good when it may be a false religion. And he would need to be prepared to fight a good warfare. That sometimes that would even mean keeping the peace and unity amongst the church body. And you know, so often the church can get off focus through internal schisms. And that, you know, there would be times where things need to be reconciled. And that the devil would even attack you in your family, on a family level. That, you know, not that you're supposed to go and attack your spouse in a war, so to speak, but that there would be a legitimate war by the devil, by the world, upon your family, and want to do anything he can to separate your family. To cause you to get stirred up. To cause you to fight. Because it's your fighting in your family unit. One, we're not able to be as the church that we should be when we come together. And then when the church has those internal battles, we're not able to be that influence in the world of proclaiming people free through the gospel. And so he's telling Timothy, you need to be ready. 
I charge you that you might war a good warfare. And paradigm falls, making sure things are healthy and right in our family and in our church. Tell us back in 1 Timothy. That thou by them mightest for a good warfare, holding faith, holding faith, to stand firm in faith. First Peter 5 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, who resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. That we need to stand firm in our faith. That devil, he's going to try to shake us up. Bring tragedies in your life to try to shake your faith. That God allows to happen in your life. But we're to stand firm in our faith. To hold on to faith. Paul said, watch ye stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men. Be strong. And in 1 Corinthians 16, 13. And where it says, quit you like men, it's not talking about being quitters. Okay? It's not using quit in the sense of how we may use it. But when it says, quit you like men, it's basically saying, you know, men don't quit. He's saying, like, be a man about it. Be, be strong. Resist the devil. And so to hold on to faith, they know that when tragedy hits your home, that you still hold on to faith. And it gets you through the battles of life. And believing in principle, that in principle, simply believing, having the faith. You know, the Bible talks about charity, believe of all things. Jesus said in Matthew 21, 22, and all things, whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, Believing, he shall receive. That we're going to see an effective life in prayer, and prayer is a big part of how we're ready to go to war against this world, to go in war against the devil and, and his archangels. It's the prayer. But we must believe. But we're just uttering words, and we don't believe in our own prayers unto the Lord. The Bible talks about how we're a double minded man. Waver in all of our ways. And so we must believe. Be people of faith. So holding on to faith. And then also, as in Timothy, it says, holding faith and a good conscience. Holding a good conscience. Having a clear conscience. One where you don't, aren't feeling guilty, um, having reason to feel guilty all the time. In 1984, an airliner was flying in Spain. The pilot and the co-pilot were there, and they got a message. The computerized guidance system on that airplane began to speak to them in a voice that said, Pull up! Pull up! Pull up! Pull up! And we're headed into danger. Later, after the wreck, they found a black box, and they heard what went on in the cockpit. And when that voice was saying, pull up, pull up, pull up, one of the pilots said, shut up, and flipped the switch. He thought it was a malfunction. 
that airplane plowed into the side of that mountain and everybody on board was killed. And it wasn't listening to that conscience of the plane's guidance and telling them, you know, it needed to pull up. Your conscience is very much like that. Your conscience is, a war is warning you, telling you when to pull up, when to pull back. Your conscience is telling you when not to go out into the ocean. Now you can kick your conscience to death if you want to. But your conscience is a gift from God. And so we're going to talk about the gift of a conscience. Your conscience is not your enemy. How you function it, it can be. But it is a gift from God to protect you, to help you. To question. Animals do not have conscience on the same level that we do. I'm not saying animals have no conscience at all. I used to think that, that you know, they're just you know following their instincts and stuff. But you know what having a dog, you know what? Our dog knows if she's been naughty without even saying a word and will often go put herself to bed. She knows, like she just gets little, she knows she did what she did was wrong. So they have, they, so that's kind of trained into them. That you know what, there's there's a discipline for bad behavior. But you know what, God has put in the heart of man a conscience. It may many times before they've even read anything in the Bible about it. You know what? Many unbelievers would say that murder is wrong, and they don't believe the Bible is God's word. You know, that's ingrained on the heart of man. You know, adultery. That would mean many times, you know, people didn't need a Bible to tell them this was wrong. Now, the law of God is to show us, to show us where we fell short and why we need Jesus as our Savior. But, you know, that conscience, you know, it, it, it does guide us into do that which is right. God's given mankind a greater conscience than animals to understand morality, right from wrong. Even when we may think we can get away with it, when we may think we won't get caught, that you know, God's put, given us a conscience, even the unsaved have a conscience in it. Romans 2 14, it says, For when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these have not the law or a law unto themselves. But show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts to mean well accusing, or else excusing one another. Now you know there's a conscience that man's been given. Now it's possible to dole your own conscience. You know, to through perpetual sin and a particular sin, you'll start to maybe not feel that. You'll, it'll start to not wear on you. you you've gotten used to it. You've told it. Um, in Exodus 8, 15, it talks about when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, he hardened his heart and hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. They got to the point where he would harden his heart and it wouldn't have bothered him anymore. 1 Timothy 4, 2 talks about false teachers, false religions, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. 
that through their deception, that image through them deceiving others, they themselves become deceived, and, and that they don't have a conscience for what they're doing to other people and leading them down the wrong path. People have been using religion and Christianity simply for money, simply for the dollar. Uh, there's been a documentary, I don't remember what it's called, but I think it was done in the 80s or early 90s. Pentecostal preacher. He admitted, acknowledged that you know, he didn't believe what he was teaching and preaching. But the reason he chose to be charismatic is because of how he just put the emotions on it. He just played the music just right. And you just have people believe stuff. And then he's just counting the offering and just basically receiving it all to himself on a personal basis. Was it going towards the function, the operation of a church? Was it going towards missions? And some could go towards that, you know, if they try to look good. But he's there just smoking his marijuana and just saying, you know what, this is why I do what I do. Manipulating and deceiving people into something did not give him believe himself. Their conscience is sued. No, he didn't. He, the reason he did the documentary is because eventually his conscience did get to But you know, we could keep on trying to throw off our conscience. But if God's given that to us, it's again to perceive right from wrong. Even if we don't have no clear cut verse that speaks on the issue. Now, it's also possible to have a weak conscience in the sense of being overstimulated or always feeling guilty. I mean, that's a strong conscience, but it's actually a weak conscience of you're always feeling guilty for things that you do not need to feel guilty about. Always thinking if an unfortunate circumstance happened in your life, then it must be you're guilty for something. If something goes wrong in the family, then you're all at fault. You're constantly guilty about other people's feelings. If they get mad, you immediately think it must be your fault. They get sad, though you must have caused it. That's a weak conscience. It could be one that has excessive doubt. Double-minded, James 1 8 says, The double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Romans 14 23 says, And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because eat of not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. The context is Paul's talking about um, meat sold in the shambles in the marketplace. And in that culture, some of those animals would have came from sacrifices they offered to false gods. And, and so Paul is saying, if it's just meat, you know what, you could eat it. Okay? Now he says, if, he, if they say unto you, here's meat offered unto idols, that then you are to resist it, because for conscience sake, or because they're telling you this is what it's for, and, and he says, you know what, you don't want to look like you're participating in that religion. He goes, however, if they just look at me before you, you don't need to ask where it came from or what it was for, because it's just me. 
that, you know, Jesus said it's not what goes in a man and be by a man, but what comes out of a man, that what he speaks. And, and, and so Paul was saying that, hey, for, for your conscience, it's just meat. You could eat it. Now, it's going to be a stumbling block to some. That you're like, here, here, here in the marketplace, or some, say someone you just led to the Lord, and then, they, and then the person goes, oh yeah, this is me offered unto uh, Zeus. Then it goes, okay, you don't, you don't want to be a stumbling block. Now, in one aspect, you can't, you could still go eat it, because you know it's just me. And it all goes, you know, why is my conscience judged of another man? But by notice, what he says, if it's going to be a stumbling block, don't do it. Okay, so, there, so there's this balance in it that you don't want to be a stumbling block to others, but also, he says, he that is doubt of his family. So if you think this may be wrong, then don't do it. Because he eat of not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So, you know, there may be sometimes things in your life and you just don't feel right about it. Well, if you're in doubt, then don't do it. There may be nothing wrong with it, but at the moment, okay, you're in doubt, okay, don't do it. And so that could be a weak conscience. That could be um, where it's just a stumbling block to you. And so don't participate. But the Bible doesn't want us to live in guilt and everything. And so I know some people struggle with that. They feel guilty. They think everything's always your fault. And you may not say that. That's not how our conscience is meant to work. Our conscience is a gift from God when it's thinking right, when it's doing that which is right. Being considerate of others does not mean you have a weak conscience. And in one sense, we don't want to be a people pleaser in that, you know, if we're just always wanting to do what they want to do, even if it's something that's wrong or something we don't feel right about. Okay? If you try to be a people pleaser in that sense, it's going to drive you mad. You're going to get stressed. You're going to get anxiety trying to please everybody. Instead, you know what? Living life unto the Lord, serve people, love people, but don't be held in bondage to guilt all the time. Now, again, it doesn't mean don't be considerate of others. First Corinthians 10 33 says, Evidence I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit but the prophet of many, that they may be saved. Okay? So, you know what? I don't mind trying to please people that's going to help me to bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus. That if there's something that I do in my life where it could be a stumbling block, that I'm not going to do it. There's a story of um, Charles Spurgeon a Baptist preacher in England. One of the bad habits he has was smoking cigars. And to my understanding, he went to his deathbed not thinking there was anything wrong with it. But that there's a story that what happened was that they started to, in the marketplace, they started to say, promote, advertise the cigars that Spurgeon smokes. And so he thought on it. Said, you know what, that could be a stumbling block to me. And so the story is that he quit from that day forward. That it wasn't because he himself thought it was wrong, 
But he did not want that to be a stumbling block to those he preached to, to those out in the community, in the world. And so making a decision based on that, that if this is going to hinder me from reaching these people, then okay. Now this one, this other example, it would not be about to me at all, okay? Okay, if I witnessing to Mormons, I'm not going to drink coffee, okay? Now you know I don't drink coffee anyway, so that's easy for me, okay? Okay, but say if you're witnessing to a Mormon, everyone else loves coffee, right? Almost everyone else. Okay, you know, it probably would not be the best idea to say you're talking to a Mormon and go, hey, could I go get you a cup of coffee? Okay, that could be that, that stumbling block there. Now that doesn't mean you have to yourself quit drinking coffee for your whole life. I'm just talking about trying to put it in context. You know, like that, that it's okay to make sacrifices for ourselves to try and reach others. And that's what Paul would say, that, that, that um, I have become all things to all men that I might be able to reach some. Some agree that and they compromise. That we need to add light to the world so we could reach the world. That's not what Paul is talking about. Over and over, he talks about how the world is our enemy. The devil is our enemy. We don't act more like the world and the devil to try and reach people. That's not the way the gospel works. What Paul is talking about is not compromise, but self-sacrifice. That if I could go about to reach somebody, or if I could participate in something that's not ungodly, but it may help me reach them. There could be some things that you just totally hate doing yourself. You know, maybe say say you're in the inner city of Chicago or something, and you know, like you just hate basketball. But say you learn to participate, to be involved, to, to, to play basketball with maybe some of the kids um, down in the street. Maybe that would open some doors. And maybe it's in your preferred thing, but you know, maybe that's where you are and you can do something you don't particularly enjoy doing to reach people. My wife reminded me of that this last week that it wasn't really so much for reaching people but just spending time with extended family. Uh, they were playing a game and I was like that game is going to be long forever and slow and this is going to be boring to me. And so I had participated in that one game and I hear it was long and drawn out and boring. But still, you know what? There could have been still that family connection. That that could have <laughs> that could have been um, spending time um, with them, and you could have influence um, that way. And so, having a good conscience is a good thing. And wanting to please people, okay, in a um, in a balanced perspective, that's not bad. But what's bad is when you're trying to please all people and it just drives you mad, it drives you crazy, that you're always feeling guilty. That's how it'll be conscious. Paul then says of some, making shipwreck of their faith. Who is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Says there's some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. I mean, is this included in the group who had rejected faith and a good conscience? He, 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 
And his companions taught that the resurrection has already happened. Second Timothy 2.16. It says, But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat his stuff at Cainthor, of whom is Hymenius and Philetus, who concerning the true Kathir, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Seems they claim one of two things, that, that a bodily resurrection of believers had already taken place, and so it was shaking the faith of some of the people there. They're like, okay, we missed the resurrection, we missed the rapture. And Paul tells, tells them that they have to repeat Some of them is reported that they believe that the resurrection just means a rising from sin. That, that they have the perspective that you get baptized and you rise from sin so that you don't sin anymore. And that, that's what the resurrection was, that there is no bodily resurrection after death. In other words, they allegorize the resurrection by insisting that it was a past spiritual experience, but not a future experience in the, something in the future. And, and so he talks about how their teaching would became main battle, and that it would overthrow the faith of some. In 2 Timothy 4.14, Paul refers to Alexander, the coppersmith, did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. And there were things that's not spoken of what he did, but probably trying to draw away disciples away from Paul and trying to gain them after himself, which Paul wrote about, that there would be some that rise even amongst yourself, that the purpose isn't to push people towards Christ, but to draw them after yourselves. Paul deals with that, how with weeping for three years, he would weep and teach and preach um, for mourning them. Says so that, you know, that basically he turned, delivered them unto Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. That's words used that there was a need for church discipline. There is a need to declare these people are no longer part of this church body. That they're, they're being put away from the church. That that spot, that wrinkle would not be upon the church. We see Paul deals with this to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 5 5. To deliver section 1 unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glory is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For him in Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. And, 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 and in the passage, the, the context, Paul is dealing with sin in the church where a man is fornicating with his stepmother. And then he says, no, this should not be tolerated in the church. And he condemns the church. You're just letting this sin go on, or you're just trying to cover it up. And that happens today in many ministries. That they meant to protect the name of the church. We can't expose this. We need to hide it. We need to cover it. We know that the Bible talks about how we um, will, what we sow, we will reap. That God is not mocked. That God will reveal, God will manifest things. 
If there's some kind of sexual perversion in the church going on, that should be exposed. That should be confronted. And if it's something that needs to be dealt with with the authorities, that should be reported. Now, some people use the passage where the Bible talks about believers not going to court with one another. Okay? That's not involving criminal law. That's saying, hey, you and your other church member friend are having a dispute over where the fence should be on your property. Okay, and he says, you know what, we should not go to law for things like this. Now, you know, figure it out amongst yourself. And if you can't amongst yourself, then it's the church. You know what, use the church body as a third party, so to speak, to judge on those matters. It says, call for the least esteem in the church that it may be people that they don't have maybe major influence, first, uh, but um, they're just a common person in church. And that let them decide the matter. Don't bring it before law. But if something has to deal with some criminology, uh, crime, something's done to a child, um, abuse, sexual abuse, that needs to be reported, not covered up by a ministry. And so Paul is saying to that, you know, if we need to cast them out for the destruction of flesh, let them face the devil in the world on their own, and may they come to a point where they repent and get things right with God, that the Spirit may be saved. And so he says that sometimes that's what needs to happen, and that's what he did with Hymenius and Alexander. They were deceiving people in the church. They were drawing disciples after them, teaching them false things. He says they need to be out of the church. They need to be recognized as not part of the church. And that's where elsewhere John writes about receive them not into your house. Don't lodge them. Don't feed them. Um, that you know what? They're excommunicated from the faith, so to speak, from, from the church. And so, you know, there's times where our own faith could be made shift. This is what these people were doing. Concerned faith could be shipwrecked. Now, when you turn away and don't believe God and don't take God at his word, you are headed for a shipwreck. Your shipwrecks when you quit believing in God. Now, thankfully, you know what the Bible talks about, you know what, if we come through a period of doubt, we believe not, yet he cannot deny uh, himself, he abideth faithful, that there may be times where we have doubt. That's different than when we're just outright denying him. And yet we do see Peter did outright deny Christ. And you know what? His faith at the moment was shipwrecked. But you know what? Jesus threw him back. We see again this mentioned already, I think last week, John the Baptist had times of doubt. Is this truly the Christ? When he just proclaimed him the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. He had periods of doubt as Christians. That's going to happen. Continue seeking, continue following after the Lord, but don't quit believing. When you quit recognizing that God knows best, when you think your way is better than God's, then your faith is made shipwrecked as well. And you remember, his thoughts, his ways are higher than our own. In Australia, when we, I used to live there as a child, um, we'd be in Australia in the outback, and there's a beach nearby, and a friend and I went on a walk, and our parents said, okay, you can go up to this location, but don't go past it. 
Well, we got to where we were supposed to not go past, and we're like, oh, it's not that much further. You know, let's continue to go in, let's go and explore. Our parents gave us boundaries on how far we were to travel. We went further than we were supposed to go, and we got lost, or our parents thought we were lost. I don't remember for sure whether we truly got lost or not, but we were lost in our parents' eyes. My parents went out looking for me. Um, their parents went looking for me and got another family involved, and then they even got law enforcement involved, all seeking and searching for us. Why? Well, uh, you know, what we wanted to do was better. You know, we want to go and explore. We want to go see what's out there. And so we went. And you know what? Made a ship. You know, it got, it got everybody involved. And we weren't anywhere near where we agreed to stop. And God gives us guidelines. He gives us commands. Be within those. Another time when we were in Australia, there was flash flooding. And our parents told us to be careful not to go near the water runoff the creek. That is basically just a runoff creek that would form. And he said, don't go near it. Well, we didn't want to have to go walk all the way around. We wanted to get right across it. So we decided we would just swim across it. Man, now I'm starting to realize what, what a knucklehead I was to say, kid. And so me and my friends, we started to swim across it. And of course, that water's moving faster than it looks. Our dog follows us, and our dog gets trapped in the bush. And his face just barely kind of out of the water, trying to improve. And then, so you know, we had to go get our parents. We, we were able to get out, and, and then eventually, they were able to get the dog out. Well, we could have been dead, the dog could have been dead. Because we thought, you know what, what we want to do is better than what we were told to do. Don't do that. You know what, God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so follow him. Don't quit trusting in God. So the Bible says, holding on to faith. Holding faith and a good conscience. Think of me a little more a good word there. Hold on to your faith. Have a good conscience. And you'll be able to fight back against the wiles of the devil, against the influence of the world, and then choosing to walk in the spirit instead of the flesh. The downright is more of the good warfare. The world wants you, the world wants your family. Don't give in. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray more that you would help us. To walk in the spirit. That we don't walk in the flesh. Help us to be prepared with our faith. To be ready to give an answer of the hope that lieth within us. Help us to hold on to a good conscience. Not to serve our own conscience. Not to get to the point where we don't feel guilty for sin because we've sinned so much. Help us to walk in your spirit. Help us to hold on to faith, have a good conscience. Help us to be prepared to take on the whole armor of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, just a reminder, um, preachers do like, preachers do like.
Bible conference, whatever you want to call it, tomorrow and Tuesday at 7 o'clock. Um, good time, good Bible preaching.